Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Matthew 16, verse 18. I'll be reading to you from the Amplified Bible. If you have a King James, it'll be a little bit different. Follow along as closely as you can. Mark 16. And verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, Petros, masculine, a large piece of rock. And on this rock, Petra, feminine, a huge rock like Gibraltar, I will build my church in the gates of Hades. The powers of the infernal regions shall not overpower it or be strong to its detriment or hold out against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind that is declared to be improper and unlawful on earth must be already bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth or declare unlawful must be what is already loosed in heaven. Our Father, we thank you for your word and for the Holy Ghost to teach us. We give ourselves to his ministry. We yield ourselves. Our ears are attentive. Our hearts are receptive. Our minds are open. And we believe together to receive that which will enable us to walk in the power of the Spirit to be upheld by the word of your power and to be effective in reaching people in this realm of life in which we live with the same. We'll give you the glory for all that's accomplished within our midst this night. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin by saying that this year of 1991 is going to be what we make it. As individuals... This year is going to be what we make it and what we make of it. As family units, this year is going to be what we make it to be. And also as a local church body, this year is going to be what we make it to be. If we choose to continue pursuing... And pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, then we're going to get somewhere in the things of God. If we don't, we won't grow. In other words, if we choose to grow spiritually, we will. If we don't choose to grow spiritually, then we won't. If we choose to experience more reality with the living God, then we will. If we don't choose to experience more reality with the living God, then we won't. If we choose to set the course of our lives for good things, then we'll experience good things. If we don't, then we won't. If we choose to experience the Word of God as a living thing within our spirits, then we will. And if we choose to grow in that Word and have that Word gain ascendancy in our lives, then it will. If we don't choose to have that happen, then it won't. See, we can set the cores of our lives for righteousness, for holiness, for peace, for love, for joy, for health, for healing, and for abundance if we choose to, or if we allow it in our lives. If we don't choose to, then we won't experience those things in our lives and the reality of those things. We can choose to rise up to a place of overcoming faith and experience victories in our lives throughout this year. Or we can choose to allow the circumstances and pressures of life to dominate us and control us in our lives and prevent us or keep us from experiencing victories. 
We can be defeated. We can be overcome. If we allow it, that's exactly what will happen. And this is exactly what Jesus was trying to tell Peter. He was letting him know that the keys to the operation of the kingdom of God, the program of God in a person's life will be given to him. And of course, he was referring to after the resurrection. You're going to have the keys to the operation of the kingdom of God. You can choose to be victorious or you can allow yourself to be defeated. It's all up to you. It depends on what you do with these keys that go to the operation of the kingdom of the program of God in your life. Now, according to Jesus here, we read in verse 19, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind, or that is, whatever you declare to be improper and unlawful. And other translations say it this way. Whatever you permit will be permitted. Whatever you unlock will be unlocked. Whatever you lock up will be locked up. Whatever you declare lawful will be declared lawful. What you declare to be unlawful will become unlawful. Because you have the keys to the operation of the kingdom. Well, what does all that mean? You know what it means? It means we can choose to set the course of our lives for right things and good things. And we can also choose to declare some things to be unlawful. Heaven has declared that we are no longer under a curse. Isn't that true? If heaven has declared that, then as far as we are concerned, we can declare a curse to be unlawful. We can say, I don't permit that. I refuse to give place to it. For example, you have heard where people have experienced difficulties in their lives, situations, physical conditions that are passed down from one generation to the next. So-and-so died of this, and, and his father died of that, and his father died of that, and, and it just goes on and on and on. Well, all of a sudden, someone becomes a child of God in that family, and that person begins to discover his rights and privileges as a child of God. And although his great-grandfather and grandfather and father experienced this same particular thing in his life, he can say, look, it stops right here. I am now a child of God, and I choose to set the course of my life for health and not sickness or disease. I choose to put a stop to this curse right now. I declare it to be unlawful. Therefore, it cannot affect my life, nor can it affect my children. Just because so-and-so was an alcoholic and it goes right on down the line, my great-great-grandfather, my great-grandfather, my grandfather, my father, I say that alcoholism has no power over my life. I declare it to be unlawful. I give it no place. I, will, I refuse to permit it to control me. I'll not be under the control of this spirit. I refuse it. Jesus was saying, what you permit will be permitted. But what you refuse to allow will not be allowed. If heaven has, a, has already declared it to be unlawful, then you have a right to declare it to be unlawful. Peter, you'll hold the keys to the kingdom. Keys represent authority. I understand that. But I think there's something more I want to express to us tonight with regard to it. So just follow with me. Turn with me, if you would, please, to the book of Isaiah, chapter 1. Someone might say, well, that may be so, but you, you don't understand my life. I have failed God. I have not done things in my life that are right. I have not been obedient to follow God or to know God. You know, my life has been just a wreck, and I've had all these difficulties. I've had all these problems in my life. I've made so many mistakes. I'm so, so ashamed of who I am and what I've done and, and all this. You know, actually, I'd be just happy to get saved. If I can just save and know I'm going to heaven, you know, then, then everything would be all right with me, and that, that'd be enough as far as I'm concerned. Well, listen to what God says about that. If you're out there tonight and you feel as though that you've let God down or that you are not proud of your experience right now where you're at in God, I want you to know something right now. God has not given up on you. 
God, your Father, is reaching out to you right now more than ever. Just reaching out to you. And you say, why can you, how can you say more than ever? You know why? Because the Bible says that before you came to Him, you were out there lost in a world of darkness, and He gave His only begotten Son so that you can receive life eternal. But you know what? It says now, much more that you become a child of God, will He save you. That's why, that's why I can say that. Much more that you're a child of God, will He defend you. Much more that you're a child of God, will He protect you. Much more that you're a child of God, He'll spare you. He'll save you from what is to come. doesn't matter where you're at out there right now. No matter what the problems may have been. This day can be to you the first day of the rest of your life. And you can make a decision of your will right now to change all that. Put the past where it belongs in a sea of forgetfulness and say, I'm going on with God from this point on. He is reaching out to you right now with His mighty power, with His great love and tender mercies and loving kindness. And this is what He wants to say. Isaiah 1.18, I'm reading from the Amplified. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. In other words... You say you've let God down. You say you've made mistakes. You say you've had difficulties. You say you've had problems. Let me say it again. Before you became a child of God, your sins were like scarlet and crimson. But He says, it's my desire to draw you in and let you taste the blood of the Lamb so that you can be pure and holy and without spot. And I say this to the child of God. You feel you've let God down. You feel you've made mistakes in your lives, your life. You feel you've had problems and difficulties in your shame maybe of what has transpired over the years in your Christian experience. If God says He'll take a sinner and make him pure and white as snow, much more will He do for His own child and wipe that slate clean and see to it that you stand with your shoulders back. Praise God, pure and holy and spotless. God loves us, beloved. He is reaching out all the time. And we need to be conscious of that. Always reaching out, wanting the best for all of our lives. And then he goes on and he says, he doesn't stop there. Man, he says, and if you'll come, in verse 19, and if you're willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. Notice the if. If you are willing and obedient, if you're willing to follow the program of God, if you're willing to choose the way of God, to learn about the operation of the kingdom of God in your life, and if you're obedient to do so, willing and obedient to get on the right course, he says, and we can have it as a guarantee, you will eat the good of the land. But notice, it involves both willingness and obedience. Sometimes we do things out of obedience, but we don't do things willfully. With a willing attitude and a willing heart. For an example, you can continue going to church out of obedience, but what was your attitude before you walked through the doors? Or I should say, before you left the house. That's the difference between being willing and not really be, being willing. See, we can be obedient, but yet not willing. Don't really want to go tonight. I don't really want to, you know, don't feel like it and all that, but I know I should be there because it's, you know, blah, 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 and we go through the whole thing. Beloved, I guarantee you when a person's heart gets willing, and along with that willingness comes obedience, you'll start eating the good of the land. And that's just one illustration there. We can say about all other things that He would have us to do. We can do things in obedience, but not really from a willing heart. We can be willing to do things, yet not even be obedient to do those things. But the two have to come together, that we are willing to do it and obedient to do it. And He says, and if you do that, you'll eat the good of the land. So you not just get saved, you'll also begin eating the good of the land. And that's what He wants. That's the message He wants us to hear, because that's what He desires for our lives. Verse 20 says, but if you refuse and rebel... So in other words, it's up to you. You control your destiny. You set the course for your own life. Whether it be 
healing or sickness, whether it be abundance or lack, strength or weakness, you set the course of your life. If you refuse and rebel, if you're not willing to, to follow the program of God and to walk in the ways of God, yes, there is a, a consequence that we have to suffer, and that is what? He says you'll be devoured. Notice, we do the eating if we're willing and obedient. We get eaten if we refuse and rebel. By the sword, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Notice how strong those words are. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. And what did he say in his word about what he says? If I say it, I'll do it. If I spoke, I'll make it good. So when the mouth of the Lord speaks, whatever he says, you know you can bank on it. And so what I'm saying is, we can come. He's reaching out. No matter what has happened, all we've got to do is say, look, forget all this other stuff. I'm going to be willing in my heart. I'm going to be obedient and set the course of my life for righteousness and for health and for peace and for joy and for love and prosperity and abundance and no lack and strength and supernatural abilities and miracles and signs and wonders and, and everything else. It's an act of my will. I choose to put myself on that course. So no matter where you're at out there tonight, beloved, make sure that you say this is the first day of the rest of my life and I choose this day to set myself on the right course. And what you allow will be allowed and what you declare to be unlawful will be declared unlawful because we are working together with God. It's not something we do apart from His power. We do it in, in cooperation with His power because He instructed us to do so. Now, turn with me, if you would, please, to the book of Deuteronomy and chapter 30. God's message hasn't changed over the years. He's the same. He holds the same views and opinions and ideas. He's a pretty stable God. I am the Lord, He says, and I change not. Also, in his dealings with mankind, it doesn't change a whole lot. He has a program. He has a way. He has an operation. We call it the operation of the kingdom of God. And it's our responsibility to do it God's way. And if we'll choose to do things God's way, I really believe we'll begin to experience the good of the land. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, and notice verse 14. Well, let's back it up here. Verse 10. Back it all up some more. I want you to see that God doesn't change. There's something, some things that are being said about the, the movement of faith, the faith walk, the faith message and all that. And people think it's something brand new. God's, uh, you know, given, supposedly people are misinterpreting God's word and all that. They're doing something that God has not instructed them to do. But I want to show you tonight that the message of faith has never changed. And it did not originate with Kenneth Hagin. You know, it goes all the way back to God himself because the word is God. And it's his message. We just repeat it. We don't originate it. We just repeat it. Look at what he said. Look at verse 8. And you shall return to obey the voice of the Lord and do all His commandments which I command you today. And the Lord your God will make you abundantly prosper in every work of your hand, in the fruit of your body, of your cattle, of your land, for good. For the Lord will again delight in prospering you as He took delight in your fathers. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep His commandments and statutes which are written in this book of the law, and if you turn to the Lord your God with all your mind and heart and with all your being, for this commandment which I command you this day is not too difficult for you, nor is it far off. Now I want us to get a hold of that. It's not all that far off and it's not too difficult as far as God is concerned. That's what He said. I'm just repeating what God said. It's not too difficult. It's not too far off. It's not out of reach, in other words. It doesn't require something of us that we don't possess or that we can't do. 
He doesn't do that. He's a just God. He is saying, I want to prosper you. I want you to experience good things in this realm of life in which you live. But notice, this is the key to experiencing the dimensions of the kingdom of God within our lives, beloved. Let's read on. It is not a secret laid up in heaven that you should, should say, Who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it to us that we may hear and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should, should say, Who shall go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your mind and in your heart, so that you can do it. Doesn't that sound like a Pauline epistle? Didn't Paul say, the word is nigh thee? Beloved, God's program hasn't changed. Faith teachers of today have not originated this message. Paul didn't. He's repeating something God said years ago. God Himself is speaking. He is telling His people how to experience abundance. He is setting forth the principles of the kingdom of God and its operation so that the people of God can experience the dimensions of the kingdom of God within their lives and the benefits thereof. That's what He's doing here. And Jehovah God, the Almighty God, is telling them exactly how to experience it, how to operate in His program. He says it's not so far off it's not up in heaven that someone's got to go up there and get it for you. He says, but this is the secret. It's near you. Well, how close is it to us? The Word is near you. In your mouth, in your heart. And he goes on and he says this. See, I have said before you this day, life and good, death and evil. And before I go any further, let's make note of this fact. The key to experiencing the dimensions of the kingdom of God in our lives still rests in the mouth and the heart of the believer. God's program hasn't changed. His message hasn't changed. It is still the same. And what the believer permits will be permitted. What he declares to be lawful will be declared lawful. Having been declared lawful out of heaven... What he refuses to allow will be refused, having been refused out of heaven. His authority comes from heaven, but he enforces it by faith, by the force of faith on the earth, speaking it with words of faith based on the Word of God from his heart and from his mouth. And he says, I have placed before you this day life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to keep His commandments and statutes and His ordinances, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your mind and heart, if you turn away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish, and you shall not live long in the land which you pass over the Jordan to enter and possess." I call heaven and earth to witness this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that you and your descendants may live, to love the Lord your God, to obey His voice, to cling to Him, for He is your life, your length of your days, that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to give your fathers to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. Notice once again, it is by choice that we put ourselves on the right course. And the most important thing to understand about the program of God, the operation of the kingdom of God, is the fact that all of it rests in the tongue and the heart of the believer. We choose to set ourselves on the right course by understanding the operation of the heart and tongue. And it hasn't changed. I can give you scriptural proof for it all. He said, I place before you what? Life and death? Blessing and cursing? Good and evil? I want to show you that along with that, the tongue, with all that, the tongue is involved. Look at Proverbs, if you would, please. Chapter 18, 
verses 20 and 21. Proverbs 18, verses 20 and 21. I'm reading from the Amplified Bible. A man's moral self, in verse 20, shall be filled with the fruit of his mouth. And with the consequence of his words, he must be satisfied whether good or evil. Notice, good and evil. But let's not emphasize that at this point. Look at verse 21. Death and life. God said, I place before you what? Life and death. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they who indulge it shall eat the fruit of it for death or life. The power to set us on the right course is in the tongue. It involves the heart because out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. But the power to set us on the right course, to remove us from the wrong course, the death course, to get us on the life course is in the heart and mouth. Because death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Quickly, Matthew 12, 33. With regards to good and evil. To get us on the course of good and off the course of evil involves cooperation between the heart and the mouth of a man. In Matthew 12, 33. From the Amplified. Jesus is speaking. Either make the tree sound healthy and good, and its fruit sound healthy and good, or make the tree rotten, diseased, and bad, and its fruit rotten, diseased, and bad, for the tree is known and recognized and judged by its fruit. You offspring of vipers, how can you speak good things when you are evil, wicked, for out of the fullness the overflow, the superabundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Notice verse 35. The good man from his inner good treasure flings forth good things. And the evil man out of his inner, or inner evil storehouse flings forth evil things. One says it this way. A good man out of the good deposits of his heart will bring forth good things. An evil man out of the evil deposits of his heart will bring forth evil things. But I tell you, on the day of judgment, men will have to give an account of every idle, inoperative, non-working word they speak. But Jesus here, once again, is talking about using your words out of the heart, speaking through the lips, with the tongue, either to produce good or to produce evil. If we want to set the course of our lives for good, we must understand this principle that pertains to the operation of the kingdom of God. We've got to do something about depositing good things in our hearts that we may bring forth good things and removing evil. See, sometimes we think evil as being such an ugly, horrible thing. We have no part in evil because we can't stand evil. And it's, but, but the thing is, beloved, gossip is evil. The thing, beloved, is doubt is evil. An evil heart of unbelief, the Bible says. That's evil. But we don't recognize that. What is evil is drinking and smoking and carousing. But what about doubt, unbelief, and fear and worry and all that? See, none of that is good. It's evil. And what he's saying is we need to rid ourselves of all that and put into good deposits of the word of faith and power, and love, and peace, and joy, and then bring them forth with their words, the word of faith. And if we'll do that, we'll set in motion the operation of the kingdom of God and get ourselves off the wrong course and get ourselves on the right course to experience good things. So now we have good and evil, we have life and death, and notice the connection between all that and the heart and mouth of a person. And if you wanted to follow it clearly through, all you've got to do is the third chapter of the book of James, and what do you find? Out of the same fountain, bless we men, curse we God. Or bless we God and curse we men. In both ways, curse God, men curse God, and, and all that. But we can still, out of the same fountain, speak words of blessing or words of cursing. What does the word blessed mean to speak well of? What does the word curse mean to speak evil of? That's what it means. 
So once again, notice, the tongue in James chapter 3 is talking about getting us off the course of destruction and on the right course. And so he talks about being mature by speaking the word and allowing the word to control our lives. Now what I want us to do, if you would please, go on back to the book of Romans. And look at chapter 10 with me. Because the apostle here, Paul, is really quoting God Almighty. He's not just coming up with some new revelation. Remember, Jesus taught him all that he knows. Those people had the right to choose the course of life they would live. They could choose blessing, they can choose good, and they can choose life by choosing to do what? Put the Word of God in their hearts and mouths, upon their lips. And choose to obey it. And a man can't be a doer of the Word of God unless the Word's in his mouth and heart. And you know that as well as I do because he told Joshua, This book of law shall not abide out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein by day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. Then you make a way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So heart and mouth, once again. It goes back to heart and mouth, once again, to get off the wrong course on the right course. This is a principle of the kingdom of God that's repeated time and time again throughout the whole Bible. It's not something brand new. And as he said, to quote God, he said, it's not that difficult. We make it difficult, but it's not that difficult. Now, in Romans chapter 10, notice how he repeats the same thing. Verse 6. But the righteousness based on faith, imputed by God in bringing right relationship with Him, says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down. Now, in, in, in uh, Deuteronomy, what did it say? Don't say it's all the way up in heaven that someone's got to go up there and get it. Well, he's saying the same thing. Who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead? And if we could be saved by our own efforts, as if we could be saved by our own efforts, but what does it say? The Word, or God's message in Christ, is near you. He's repeating Deuteronomy. The Word, or the message, is near you. It's on your lips and in your heart. That is the Word, the message, the basis and object of faith which we preach. Deuteronomy 30. 14, same scripture. Because if you acknowledge or confess or say the same things with your lips that God has said, do you know what? God said Jesus is Lord before we did. Absolutely. He made Him Lord. He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If we say the same thing, And that's what confession is. It's not a negative thing only. It's a positive thing. If you'll confess with your lips the Lordship of Jesus and in your heart believe, the whole operation of the kingdom of God within our lives rests upon those principles right there. Those are the keys Jesus was talking about. You have the keys. And it's putting your heart and mouth together with the authority that was given to you from above. And if you'll do that, you can allow things... Or disallow. You can permit or not permit. Or prohibit. You can refuse. You can lock up. You can unlock. You can bind. You can loose. It's the message of God's Word that produces faith in our hearts. So if you believe in your heart, adhere to, trust, rely upon the truth that God, notice, Raise him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart a person believes, and with the mouth he confesses. And in the King James it says, unto salvation. He declares openly and speaks out freely his faith and confirms his salvation. Now I want you to note this. For with the heart man believes, and with the mouth his confession is made unto. Notice, unto. Unto what? And the word there is salvation, and in the Greek, soteria. Soteria, which means, according to Schofield, and I know that he was maybe not as intent as we are with regards to healing in the day in which we live. If you read after some of his references and all that. But he says, with regard to that word soteria in the Greek, what it really means, it carries the idea of preservation, safety, deliverance, soundness, And healing. 
He says it is an all-inclusive word, meaning those five things. So when we think about the word salvation, we think about having fire insurance so that we don't end up in the lake of fire forever. And that's about it. We're insured that we're not going to hell. But that's not just talking about that there. It's talking about with the mouth confession is made unto. You believe from the heart the Lordship of Christ and you confess with your mouth. And you make your confession unto. Preservation, soundness, safety, deliverance, and healing. You put the two together. I believe in my heart that Jesus died for more than just delivering me from eternal damnation. I believe with all of my heart He died also to preserve my life. He died for my safety and protection. He died also for my soundness, wholeness, deliverance. He died for my health and well-being. With the heart the man believes the message, with the mouth he confesses unto all these things. It's the same principle that takes us off one course and puts us on another. How do we get off the course of eternal death? By that principle. We go down the course of life, the course of righteousness, by making this bold confession of faith as we believed it within our hearts. Well, that's just the beginning of it all. And if we'll believe the whole message, the whole counsel of God, and develop the same type of heart attitude towards everything that salvation means... And then begin to, with faith words, proclaim it lawfully because it's been declared lawful in our lives. Then, beloved, we'll get ourselves off the course of evil, on the course of good, off the course of cursing and on the course of blessing, off the course of of sickness and disease and on the course of health, off the course of weakness and on the course of strength. It depends on what, what we do with the message. Now, I want you to turn with me, if you would, please, to Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, and I want to tie some things together. You thought I left that parable, but I really didn't. I was just leading up to it in a different way. Because sometimes I think we get a little bit in a rut. He's preaching from that Mark 4 again. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 4... Beginning at verse 14, now listen, the sower sows the message. That's exactly what I'm doing here tonight, beloved. I am sowing a message by divine instruction of the operation of the kingdom of God within the realm of the human heart. I am preaching a message that tells us that according to the words of Jesus, not my words, not what I said, not some that I originated, but according to the words of our Lord, He said the gates of hell will not prevail against us. He said that the key to the operation of the kingdom of God lies within us. He said the kingdom of God is in you. And you have the keys to the kingdom. What you allow will be allowed. What you permit will be permitted. What you disallow and, and what you, you know, call unlawful is unlawful. You have the keys to the operation of the kingdom. That's his message. It excites us. But the moment someone hears that message, beloved, I guarantee you, verse 15 is true, the ones along the path are those who have heard the word sown in their hearts, but when they hear, Satan comes at once and by force takes away the message which was sown in them. them. Satan will come by force and say, get out of that place, there are a bunch of heretics, the message is not right, forget about all that, you've got to be kidding, there are a bunch of lunatics, they're off the deep end and all that stuff, get you out of there by force, push you out any way he possibly can, don't hear that message. And he'll do that, we've talked about that. He doesn't want you on that course, he doesn't want you to stay on that course, he knows what it will do for your life. And Jesus goes on and he says... In verse 16, and in the same way, the ones sown upon stony ground are those who, when they hear the word at once, receive and accept and welcome it with joy. And they're, they're grateful, they're delighted, I mean, they're, they're appreciative because of what they have heard. But now notice, the enemy is still out there to use force to do what? 
to stop us from getting our hearts to line up with our lips. To stop this operation of the Word of God in our hearts and in our mouths. And what did God say about it? It's not hard. It's not too difficult to understand or do. All you've got to do is what? The Word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. See the simplicity of the message? You don't have to have all these works. You don't have to have all these different things. You know, we have a bunch of tools to work with. What we have is the Word, our hearts, and our mouths. Are we getting this tonight? The Word in our hearts and within our mouths. This is the key to the operation of the kingdom. And the enemy knows that. And so when the message goes forth and we begin to hear it, he comes immediately to use force to get it out of us. And those who have, on stony ground, are those who when they hear the Word, they welcome it. But they don't have that real root in themselves. And so they endure it for a little while. Then when trouble or persecution arises on account of the Word, they immediately are offended and become displeased, indignant, resentful, and they stumble and fall away. I want us to take note of some of these definitions. Affliction means the pressure of circumstances comes against them. God's people have got to be rooted and grounded because affliction will come. Satan will use affliction or the pressure of circumstances as a force against us to stop us from operating in the Word of God or these principles of the kingdom. To remove that seed of God's Word and that message of authority and power out of our hearts because he knows if it's left there, will rise up to a place of overcoming faith and victory. He wants to control our lives and dominate our lives and distract us in our lives so that we don't rise up to that place and be overcomers. And so now notice, affliction means the pressure of circumstances. Persecution, tribulation means to put the flight or to drive away. To persecute, to put the flight, to drive away. And then to offend, make note of it, it's important, it means to repress. Which means to prevent the natural or the normal expression, activity, or development of something. It means to prevent the natural, normal expression, activity, or development of something. In other words, affliction and persecution is coming to offend us. And so that we get offended because of the word's sake. So that he can prevent... The natural, normal expression, activity, or development of the Word of God in our lives. It also means to inactivate by blocking. It means to check by pressure and to put down by force or to set up a roadblock. That's what it means. Persecution and affliction will come our way to prevent the development of the message of the Word of God in our hearts. To set up a roadblock to prevent it from taking root. And if He can set up that roadblock and prevent it from taking root, it can't affect the heart as it should. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our words then they'll become faith-filled. And once again... Since we have to draw from something, we go back to speaking doubt, unbelief, worry, anxiety, fear, and all that. Sickness, disease, lack, want, woes me, all these different things. Pressure of circumstances. Turn with me to Philippians, if you would, please. Chapter 4. Afflictions. Pressure of circumstances coming against us. Why, why is it coming? To do what? To prevent the natural, normal expression or activity or development of the Word of God in our lives. To stop it. To set up a roadblock or to keep us in check by pressure. To put down by force. And it could be the force of fear or the force of doubt and unbelief. These evil forces coming against us to set up roadblocks in our lives so as to prevent our development in the things of God, the message of the kingdom and the word of faith. 
You recall that we used to illustrate that Peter walking out on the water, but his heart was not fully developed in faith, and therefore, Jesus even said, Oh, ye of little faith. I wouldn't say that to somebody walking out on the water, but I'm not Jesus. If I saw you walking out on the water, and I know you can't walk on water, and I know it's real that you are walking on water, I would think that that's, an, that's a definite expression and demonstration of tremendous faith. But obviously, I'm not Jesus, and as Jesus viewed it, he said, Peter, I gave you the word or the command, and you went forth, and as far as he was concerned, he said, wherefore didst thou doubt? So he had doubt and didn't have, he didn't have great faith, and he didn't consummate the miracle, and that's how Jesus viewed it. So we see that Peter, because he saw the circumstances and all that, allowed doubt to enter in, and we see that that's a negative force or an evil force, and what it does, it can prevent the operation of the kingdom of God or the power of God from being an operation or manifestation to consummate a miracle. And we see that that can happen, and let's not forget that, because it can happen. Okay? And I'm sure that Paul knew that too, but look at Philippians chapter 4. And notice... Verse, let's see, where can we begin here? Verse 9. Practice what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. And model your way of living on it. And the God of peace, of untroubled, undisturbed well-being will be with you. I was made very happy in the Lord that now you have revived your interest in my welfare after so long a time. You were indeed thinking of me, but you had no opportunity to show it. Not that I am implying that I was in any personal want, for I have learned. Notice the word learn. I have learned how to be content, satisfied to the point where I'm a, I am not disturbed or disquieted in whatever state I am in. I know how to be abased and live humbly in straightened circumstances. And I know also how to enjoy plenty and live in abundance. I have learned, again the word learn, in any and all circumstances, the secret of facing every situation, whether well-fed or going hungry, having a sufficiency and a spare, or going without and being in want. Paul was saying, I have learned... This is something the Apostle Paul learned. I'm sure Jesus taught it to him. I'm sure Jesus explained a lot of things to him. He was saying, the things that you've seen in me, pattern your, do, just do it. Model your way of living after that. I didn't become upset or disquieted because I was in want or need. I was not dependent upon my circumstances for a cheerful countenance. It didn't matter if I had money in the bank or if I didn't have money in the bank. It didn't matter if I had food on the table or didn't have food on the table. It didn't matter what my circumstances were. Those circumstances I recognize as being something that's coming from the enemy to do what? To set up a roadblock, to get me discouraged, to prevent me from going on in the things of God. Therefore, I have learned whatever state I'm in to be independent of those circumstances. So when the pressure of circumstances come... When persecution and affliction come against us, affliction being the pressure of circumstances, Peter, he caved in under the pressure of circumstances. But Paul said, I've learned, and it's something we have to learn. And just because you don't do it 100% right the first time doesn't mean you can't learn and still continue learning. We don't give up on a message just because we didn't achieve 100% success the very first time, beloved. Or if we do, we just find ourselves right there where Jesus said there's no depth. There's no depth, and it means the, the message just stops right there. It's removed from the heart of the person. No, just because we didn't, you know, operate 100% in it or 100 fold in it the very first time doesn't mean it doesn't work. It means we've got a lot of growing to do, a lot of uh, developing to do. And what did I talk about? To prevent the development of the Word of God or the message in, in a person's life. And so we want to continue in it so that it can work in our lives. Okay? Now, here he is saying that he has learned how to be... Independent of the circumstances, verse 13 says, I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. If I need to get money for food or if I need food, I have strength in Christ who empowers me. To give me the faith that I need to get the food. If I need healing in my body, if I need deliverance, if I need preservation, soundness, wholeness, whatever I need in my life, I have learned to draw my strength from Christ who empowers me and makes me equal to any task. I like that. Do you like that? I'm not drawing my strength from my circumstances. I'm not... Receiving my countenance from my outward appearances. I'm not happy today because everything's going well. I'm not sad today because everything's going bad. 
We have days when things go fine and days when things aren't fine. When situations are favorable, when they're unfavorable. But he says, I don't draw my countenance from that. I have learned how to depend on Christ. I have looked at Him in situations and circumstances that are so adverse you wouldn't even believe. And I'll show you one here real, real quick. Let's, let's get through this real quick. Paul learned to be independent of the circumstances. He didn't waver in faith when he was in, in adversity. He had learned to draw his strength from the one above because he knew the affliction was coming to set up a roadblock in his life to prevent the development of the kingdom of God and its operation within his life to inactivate him by blocking. And he, he didn't want that. And so he learned how to, how to stand against that and to rise up to a place where he overcame the circumstances. Now, I want you to notice something else about this. And that's found in the book of Acts. Turn there with me, if you would, please, in the book of Acts. This same apostle who said this, Going back to Acts 14, the same apostle who said this also said this. Everyone who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Didn't he say that? When it comes to persecution, everyone who lives godly will suffer it. Who lives in Christ Jesus in a godly way will suffer persecution. But he went on to say, I endured persecution at these different places and out of them all, the Lord delivered me. I received my deliverance from the Lord. But I want to, and that's found in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. But look at verse 14, or chapter 14 of Acts, beginning at verse 1. And I want to show you one of the circumstances or the situations that came against his life. Pressure, you talk about pressure. Persecution that came for what purpose? To, to put him to flight, to get him to run away from the message of the gospel. To stop operating in that... Those kingdom principle, principles. Look it. I'm reading from the Amplified Bible. Now, I, now at Iconium, also Paul and Barnabas went into the Jewish synagogue together and spoke with such power that a great number, both of Jews and Greeks, believed, became Christians. But the unbelieving Jews who rejected their message aroused the Gentiles and embittered their minds against the brethren. So Paul and Barnabas stayed on there for a long time, speaking freely and fearlessly and boldly in the name in the Lord, who continued to bear testimony... To the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be performed by their hands. But the residents of the town were divided, some siding with the Jews and some with the apostles, when there was an attempt, both on the part of the Gentiles and the Jews together, with their rulers, to insult and abuse and molest Paul and Barnabas, and to stone them. They were of the situation, made their escape to Lystra, Derby, cities of uh, Lyconia, and the neighboring districts. And there they continued to preach glad tidings of the gospel. The enemy will always do this to prevent the operation of the kingdom of God in the heart of anyone. Anywhere that message goes, there's going to be religious people, all kinds of people stirred up to come against that message because of the, the power that's in the word and the message. It's the word that has power. And so he'll stir up anyone that he possibly can. In one place we read that he got some people of, of the baser sort, lewd fellows of the baser sort, to stop the word of God. We see it happening here. But it didn't discourage the apostle. He continued. Went to Lystra, Derby, provinces of Galatia. And keep that in mind. Now I want you to notice. If Paul would have allowed this to get to his life, it would have destroyed him and his ministry. But he didn't allow it. If he would have allowed the persecution to be so overbearing that he could not rise up above it, he would have been destroyed. But he didn't allow it. He refused to allow it. He went on continuing preaching the gospel. He went to another place. But look at verse 19. But some Jews, he went there, preached the same message of the gospel, arrived there from Antioch, Iconium, having persuaded the people and won them over. They stoned Paul and afterward dragged him out of the town thinking that he was dead. These are professional stoners. And professional stoners don't think someone's dead. They make you dead. Did you get that? They make you dead. They're professionals. You ready for this? You talk about persecution and the Lord delivered me out of them all. But the disciples formed a circle about him. And he got up. And went back into the town, and on the morrow, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. Hmm. 
getting stoned to death, having a prayer meeting, getting up and going back into the town. They're at Galatia. Have you encountered those kind of circumstances yet? Those pressures? That persecution to put you to flight and to get you to run away and stop doing what you're doing? Well, when they had preached the gospel of that town, made disciples of many people, they went back to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, establishing and strengthening the souls of the hearts of the disciples, urging and warning and encouraging them to stand firm in the faith and telling them that it is through many hardships and tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Let's not forget, there will be tribulation, there will be affliction, there will be hardships coming our way to do what? To prevent the operation of the kingdom. To get us to run away, leave the message, forget it. To put a roadblock, set it up in our lives so that we don't grow and develop and mature in these things. And, and the Word has its full expression within our hearts and our lives. Well, beloved, they came against Paul. He was afflicted, he was persecuted, but he had depth on the inside. He learned how to be independent of the circumstances. He learned how to trust in, rely, and depend upon the life of Christ within and draw his strength from above, even to the, the degree he was raised from the dead. And went right back into those provinces of Galatia and preached the same message to them. I'm not sure it to you. Galatians chapter 4. Look at Galatians chapter 4. This is what he's referring to. And look at verse 12. Here's what people think that, that Paul had an eye disease. He didn't have eye disease. He had stones in his eyes. It's the truth. If you read it, 4.12. Brethren, I beg of you, I'm going to read this to you from the King James. I don't agree with what the Amplified says there because there's no, first of all, there's no proof of it. It's only an opinion. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 12 says, Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as you are. Ye have not injured me at all. Now, he's not talking about his flesh. You know how through infirmity of the flesh, I preached the gospel unto you at the first. He's not talking sickness. He's talking persecution. And my temptation... Which was in my flesh, you despised not nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Where is then the blessedness you speak of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and had given them to me. Now, beloved, the apostle Paul was stoned there at Galatia. And he said, when I came preaching to you the message the first time, I was stoned. You know what a person looks like after a stoning? He says after they had the prayer meeting around him, he, 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 he was raised up from the dead and went right back in. Now remember, when he was beaten and whipped and in, the Philippi, in, in at Philippi and in jail, the Philippian jailer washed their backs that were open because of the beating. God's power is manifested, but they weren't instantaneously healed. Do you see that? Paul was just stoned to death, beloved. You know what his eyes probably look like? Probably swollen shut. His head was probably swollen. We're talking about people that stoned people to death and they knew about it and they left him for dead. And the disciples went around, the, the, the followers went around and got around him and prayed. And he was raised up, went back into the same city. You think they received him as an angel? Just what they said. He said, you received me as an angel. They certainly did. And he went back in and preached the, the kingdom of God and he didn't let the devil set up a roadblock and he wasn't injured in spirit, is what he is saying. You haven't injured me. And he's talking about a message right here to this church, that the church is at Galatia and the Judaizers coming in to try to undermine what he was teaching, preaching another gospel. He says, I came and preached to you the gospel, the word of faith. And that's what's going to help you. And they're trying to undermine all that. And, and that's not my subject tonight, but, but here's the point. We'll be afflicted and persecuted for the Word of God's sake. And we could do one of two things. We could become offended and run away from the message because it's, it's something that we don't want. 
and fall right into the hands of the enemy instead of a roadblock and we won't grow and develop in these things. Otherwise, uh, on the other hand, we can say, you know what, I choose to set my, the course of my life for right things and good things. And I choose to endure affliction, persecution, tribulation, whatever comes my way for the gospel sake, I, it doesn't matter. I'm going to be as Jesus was, I'm going to be as Paul was, I'm going to learn how to be independent of the circumstances, and I'm going to draw my strength from God and His Word. And even though it's coming against my way, I have depth. There's depth to a person's Christianity and belief in God, beloved. When we're attacked with all these different things, where do we stand? Do we stand firm in the Word of God and say it doesn't matter what's happening? Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.